0: A revolution is taking place across the outback. A revolution defined by a fence. A fence promising sheep and therefore employment, and therefore the renewal of communities back to massive areas of remote Australia. We hear about the revolution of cluster fencing, which are bringing sheep back and therefore bringing communities back to these pastoral areas, Of Australia. You're listening to The Yarn, the number one wool industry podcast. I'm Ellie Bigwood. In central west Queensland, the cluster fencing program with RAPID, the Remote Area Planning and Development Board, has been labelled as the fence that's saving the outback. It was part-funded by government, but local landholders covered about 75% of the cost, their contributions exceeding $18 million, and the return on investments are ever-growing. For starters, lamb survival has increased from 30% up to 80% in some areas, but its aim is much bigger than just protecting lambs. It's about being a catalyst for achieving long-term profitability of regional communities. On Rapids' website, not notjustdefence.org, the ROI of this fencing program is calculated to be $3.38 for every dollar spent by government, with a $23 million annual benefit to the community. Morgan Gronald is the Senior Regional Development Manager at Rapid, and one of his favourite projects is this Queensland Feral Pests Initiative cluster fence program to tackle the problem which impacts much more than just individual businesses.
1: If you look at the cluster fencing program that started here, uh, it'd be about five years ago now, it came from the fact that it was the pest problem and the wild dog problem in particular was impacting largely on people um, and and populations in our community. So we, like many, you know, small country towns around the place, are facing population decline. One of the consistent messages that kept coming through to councils was that. This was a real problem, and there was a direct correlation for us between the woolly sheep leaving the region, and and that meaning people leaving, which meant we were getting, you know, less kids in schools and um and a range of things there. So, in the oh, about 2014-15, the a number of councils from the Central West in Queensland came together and said, look. What can we do about this problem? Now, we can't make it rain, obviously, but what we decided was that if we could put some sort of physical infrastructure up or looked at a number of strategies in which to do it, could we assist producers, you know, ensure that it gave them the option for small stock and, and hopefully the option for woolly sheep because that would mean uh, demand in people would come back to the region. So that's that's really where it all started Is is from councils saying, you know, how can we get people to stay and how can we bring people back?
0: And I think that's probably what could be really overlooked by, say, other people in Australia who aren't aware of the wild dog problem is that it doesn't just affect individual businesses. But there's over 3,500 people left the region in central west Queensland, and that's a lot. And, yeah, it's really tough when that that area is really well suited to sheep production.
1: Very much so, and you've hit it on the head there nicely. I mean, it's really joining the dots or shining a light on the, you know, one sheep leaving equals people leaving. And, and I think it is difficult for people to get that understanding when they're sort of not from, from this part of the world. I mean, obviously, it impacts on, you know, not just people but then the opportunities or the options that many landholders in this in this part of the world have. Now, you know, as you indicated, this, this has been excellent sheep country for many years and, and Merino woolly sheep country. Small stock can deliver, you know, great profitability in this part of the world. But if you can't look at small stock, then that takes not just – merinos and woollies sheep out, but you know, crossbreds, goats, you know, a range of different things, you know, you can't have in your armory from a profitability point of view, you know, and and that can be quite a limiting factor. If you take one property that's traditionally had, you know, eight or ten thousand merinos on it, and as a result of that, you need shearers and you need crutches and, you know, you need wool handling and and all of those things. And that place transitions across the store steers where from a uh, employment point of view, you sort of don't need too much. You can get contractors in and and that sort of stuff. Now one individual place can do that and it won't have much of an impact on a community. But if you get significant proportions of places doing that, then all of a sudden it does hollow out your community in that ag space around employment.
0: Yeah, that's right. So we've got the challenge, the dogs came in, the sheep started to go out, people changing enterprises, um, hmm. which means people lost jobs and you're getting the hollow, hollowing of these communities. So what was the solution? Talk us through the fence that's saving the outback. There's been a huge cluster fencing project that's taken place in Queensland's central west to address this exact issue,
1: Morgan. Mm -hmm. And look, I can't take credit for certainly those early discussions. So that came directly from grassroots landholders and people in these communities that started having conversations about what can be done. We saw uh, people south of our region around Charleville and Tambo, develop a model down there which was for large groups of people coming together, fencing large areas, you know, 500,000 acres, a million acres, that sort of thing down there. And we had discussions around check fences or one large strategic fence that would, you know, encapsulate three or four shires and sort of take in hundreds of thousands of hectares, millions of hectares in sort of one big fence. And that discussion evolved into... Uh, The cluster fencing model, um, which is the one that has been developed here in the Central West, individual producers have got together to look at how they can work together to put this infrastructure in to give not only themselves but their communities a future. And so the key point in that is that um, it's a volunteer-based thing to be part of the program. So a large part of what this process is about is really ownership of the fence because if you have strong motivation or high motivation and ownership over the infrastructure, then obviously you're going to have... um, Strong motivation and ownership over the maintenance of it, you know, long term. These, this, it's not a fence and forget model. So, as long as there's a minimum of two people, as long as they enclose an area, as long as they meet the fencing specifications, which is a fairly common sort of exclusion fence process, they can start the program. They have to sign up for 20 years as part of that public good benefit to say that they're going to maintain the infrastructure for that long. And also, upwards of probably 75% of the cost is there. So, the Queensland government, uh, through the federal government, gives a $2,700 kilometre subsidy, so it's free money. When we started fencing, it sort of was probably six and a half or seven thousand dollars a kilometre, and I mean it's probably gone up to eight, ten, or twelve thousand dollars a kilometre now. So, 70 to 75 percent of the cost is coming from the landholder themselves, and so that in itself is quite a unique model because generally speaking, when government of any level puts money into infrastructure, they they do it alone. So I mean, you know, you don't you don't see a roundabout going a suburban street in Brisbane and all the people in the street chipping 75% of the cost. I think we're in this particular model, the skin in the game, for want of a better word, is with the landholders themselves. And so we've had fabulous take up uh, in this part of the world. And and I think, you know, saw communities and landholders uh, coming together and drawing a bit of a line in the sand saying, the only way we're going to change is to implement this sort of program. So
0: It's a great example of what we can achieve as an industry um, when we work together on things. To your point, you know, you've got you've got the landholders, the local council, you've got government, and with all of this collaboration, you ended up building well, protecting an area larger than Hong Kong in these cluster defenses. Oh. So it's it's so much more than just defence. Can you lead into a bit more about improved production, but also jobs and the return on investment?
1: We found that there was, you know, there was this great story in the paddock and we were having trouble sort of getting it out there. So we developed this um, not-just-a-fence tool, which is a, a website that we tried to put all of this stuff in. Because, as you say, it's, it's not just an economic... Um, return. And and obviously, for every sheet that comes back, that provides an economic return to individuals that therefore employs people, you know, as a result. And and that puts, you know, increases regional GVP and and all sorts of things um, in that regard. But but there's also the, the environmental and social benefit that comes along with it as well. So, if I've got 50,000 acres, for example, and traditionally run sheep across the the whole lot and and we see dogs coming into a corner or a patch there. So, you know, I'm not putting sheep in, could be 10,000 acres, could be 20,000 acres of the place, for example. Well, it's unlikely that I'm going to go up there as much. So we sort of get these sort of forgotten pockets of places that therefore aren't managed as well as they potentially were before. So, what we've seen there is, from an environmental perspective, we've seen people taking back control, really, and, and a large part of this fence and, and what people tell us is that it's all about you know, control. It's giving them back control of their place. Financially, Um, it's it's giving them back control of their place from an environmental perspective. But also, you know, there's a large mental health and social part of this where it's giving them control back of their time as well. You know, people are chasing dogs on top of everything else that they're doing. It's not taking your business forward. Where all of a sudden now, people are finding they've got this what what is extra time that they can actually put into more positive things. So, you know, when a dog comes and you drop everything to chase them. If you had a a cricket club meeting on that afternoon, well, you can't go. And so that means that that cricket club meeting mightn't go ahead, which means that the cricket club mightn't sort of work this year. And so it becomes this long knock-on effect of things that don't quite come together because all you're doing is spending you know all your time chasing dogs and so it's all consuming the,
0: isn't it yeah ab-
1: absolutely and and I, I think that's a very good definition of it and and it's all consuming at a financial environmental and social type level and and so what we've really found and, and what a lot of people are telling us as as per that not just the fence stuff is they've got control now you know, they, they can go on a holiday or they can do something knowing that they're going to go forward. I mean, even things, for example, like sheep genetics and preg testing and scanning and that sort of stuff. I mean, but a couple of local cockies joke with me that all we had were the fast ones left. You know. So so there's no thought about long term genetic improvement when all you're trying to do is survive. I mean, where for now, for probably the first time and a couple of local scanners here will tell you this, you know, A, they're getting stuff scanned, but B, they're actually talking about long term genetic improvement because they can cull stock and they can do things whereas before you just you know, you just whatever you had left was sort of what you had. So it's it is it is all consuming in that regard. That's right.
0: The success of this cluster fencing project, it's already benefited the lives of so many people in the region, and you being in the region, I'm sure you can attest to that more than anyone. Mm. So, is there hope for the future to expand it?
1: Look, certainly at a local level here, absolutely, demand continues. So, from people that are seeing the benefits, they've, you know, to to pardon the pun, they've they've um, sat on the fence and seen what their neighbours have done, or they've read about it, or they've come up and seen it, and and I think part of the flow for that, especially now um, that people have had a bit of rain, is that we're seeing interest from other uh, southern states in coming to Queensland and looking to invest uh, in this part of the world. Now, traditionally, no one comes up here from that better country in New South and Victoria to buy in Queensland. Most of the time, it goes the other way, but there's been real interest here, and predominantly, people want. Places behind wire. Now, on top of that, we're seeing almost a twin economy for adjustment, in that people are ringing for adjustment, and there's a rate for non-fenced, and there's a rate for fenced, because a lot of these a lot of these stock are coming from fenced places elsewhere, and and want that security and certainty up here. So, not only has it allowed from a, a people perspective, which was, you know, the aim for us at the beginning, but we're also seeing investment that we hadn't seen before as people realise the benefit and and, uh, uh, come looking for country and grass up in this part of the world.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. If the Central West had one million sheep brought back into the area, what would it look like?
1: I think the really exciting thing is that, you know, livestock prices with small stock prices, we're seeing people that have been forced to go out of sheep 10 and 15 years ago. We're seeing the next generation come in and start to run sheep again. We're seeing people buy places that used to be sheep places and and converting them back. We're, We're seeing genuine interest from people saying that we are going to be here now because before, who would know? And look, these fences aren't for the current generation. They're for the next ones, really. We can get the benefit now but we're going to get the benefit well into the future. I think what we're seeing is a much brighter future from a landholder and community's point of view because the fences have given them the option to say we're here, um, we want to be profitable and we want to be part of the community.
0: It's reintroducing that enterprise choice which brings so much hope back to a lot of producers who really want to be able to pursue livestock production so that's that's really Mm. really exciting and what started as a grassroots model approach has worked so well for your region, and is also being applied or being admired by others around the country?
1: I will say, like, it's not the only model, obviously. It's just the one that has best suited us up here. We'd happily invite anyone that wants to come from, you know, any of the states or anywhere um, to come up. We've had lots of interest from New South Wales, South Australia, Western Australia, the Western Australian model of fencing there. Obviously it's, you know, everything's bigger in Western Australia. So it's a, of a much bigger scale than what we do area wise. But I mean, it was modeled on, on what we've done here and, And, uh, you know, by all accounts, they're having some success there. So, no, all I can say is that if people are interested and think it may be of benefit, whether you're a a landholder or a local community or a council or whatever, yeah, please look at not just a fence, please call and come and see us. And if we can share any of the success or, you know, secret sauce from here, we're um, more than happy to.
0: David Owens is a wool grower from Longreach in central West Queensland who's been a part of this Cluster Fence initiative for his business, which runs predominantly merino sheep on their 25,000-acre property, the Cluster Fencing Program has brought benefits financially, mentally, socially and environmentally speaking. What's fundamentally changed since you've had a cluster around your property?
2: Oh, lots of things. And even in the build-up, Ellie, we, we were lucky enough to secure some funding um, through Rapid, through Queensland government and... Um, that certainly helped a lot because it, it gave a lot of people skin in the game. We obviously put a lot of time and effort in. Um, so we're we're part of um, the four-mile cluster here, uh, which I was probably a fair driver of. We had two really good neighbours. and We had about six to start with, but it just dwindled down a bit because it's a long conversation, the, the cluster fencing. If you're thinking of cluster fencing you, or fencing yourself, you need to start now and it can take some people up to two years to think about and and get your head around especially the cluster side of things creating um incorporations but we're really lucky with our neighbors we were we were friends really we were pretty good friends before and we actually became better friends through it just through trust and talking all the time then you know understand someone better and we all think we know our neighbors quite well and most people do but we actually found that we became yeah, we, we, we got along a lot better and we understood the issues around each different property a bit, which is a little bit contrary to the fact that everyone um, from the outside looks across and say, oh, you have a lot of arguments with your, with your neighbours on the outside. Well, you do sometimes, but we've actually found inside we're definitely better. And even on the outside, there's been a lot more conversation. So we understand our neighbours. So I think it's socially and mentally been really good in our area we've, we've actually been a lot stronger as a, as a community and then since building the fence yep that continued especially inside with getting the dogs out and also being able to control a bit of the macropod issue that we have here with the numbers in in this timbered country yeah flock rebuild we knew where we were headed we knew that we only had pigs or other disease related things that we're going to slow us down on the flock rebuild. We knew that there was a lot more within our control, I guess. Um, the time and effort we spent trapping in those things, we were putting into how we were going to make our flocks more profitable, which certainly I found here. Everyone was chasing dogs here at one point there for about 18 months, and that's all we ever did it was worrying you at night. And now we spend more time doing something about profitability or spending more time on the flock because we know the outcome that we get from that isn't going to be demised by a dog in the next couple of weeks or so that's all that's been really good. The potential to expand, we have we have, I guess, um, with grazing pressure of the cluster fence, we've been able to build our flock a little bit. It's probably more about the production we've got from our flock. So yes, we have maybe picked up seven or eight percent on our lambings in the last couple of years from sort of 50% back when we had dogs. It's hard to quantify the number when we had dogs because they'd impact us a little bit, but they weren't taking numbers of lambs, so it's hard to put numbers on that. But we get a lot more, our sheep are way more content. You certainly knew when they'd been chased by dogs, so our sheep are way more content, which obviously means more lambs. Sheep are happier, healthier, more wool. So we saw those things as well within them, and, and we put a lot of time into our sheep and, there are um, just
0: so many impacts, Dave. Like This is honestly oh, fantastic to
2: so hear. Yeah. yeah, no, so many impacts. It. But you don't think about the cluster fence gave us the opportunity to also split ourselves up. So we've been a cluster for three years and we'll continue to keep our cluster arrangement and our meetings going. But we've actually been able to fence our properties individually as well now.
0: So you've got the financial gains from improved productivity of your flock, which is, you know, very important just for fundamentally running a business. Uh, But mentally and socially, I found it really interesting, your comments on getting closer with your neighbours. I suppose it's just comes down to that shared experience and you're all going through this together. You need to work together. And yeah, imagine if we could see more of that um, Australia-wide on issues. Yeah, that was really, really nice to hear. And I suppose your ability to focus on other elements of livestock production as well, rather than just the survival of your flock is probably a huge win too.
2: Oh, look, we absolutely hit it on the head. Yep. Socially, it's just been great. We're lucky here. We are a big merino sheep region still south of Longreach, one of the biggest regions left in Queensland. We certainly have some of the same views and the same goals. And so we do work really well together on that note going forward I'm hoping that that continues as well.
0: So let's talk about going forward what's what's your outlook for the future in central west Queensland because of cluster fencing?
2: Oh it's been huge here Longreach has probably had some of the biggest uptake of cluster fencing so we're we're seeing it firsthand certainly if people wanted to see see some cluster fencing you'd come to Longreach Barcald and up north of Longreach south of Longreach a lot of different fencing so I think it'll continue for our area because we're seeing lots and lots and lots of good stories out of cluster fencing and I'm hoping it continues to be funded. In some fact, I'm, I'm certainly not a big believer in handouts and money, but I think um, a bit of help with skin in the game and, and certainly by being able to keep sheep and small stock in general in a community while there's more money runs around in it in the community, especially in the towns, which we certainly want to see. We tend to be our own little unit when we're out on the farm, but we can't do it without the town. We can't do it out with our neighbours. We can't just be here on our, on our own, which probably brings me to shearing a little bit. You now, we've seen, I think we had five or six contractors in Longreach before the drought. Now we're back to three to four. And so you need, you need a critical number too. So the cost of fencing's helped that, and hopefully we can solidify the, guy, the the contractors in town and the shearers in town so that we don't, we don't see that number dwindle anymore. And the drought's been a big, big part of that too, but, but fencing's certainly helping. And When we have our leaner years, then we're still, we're still able to, to operate and be a little profitable too, I believe.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think it will bring more sheep back to the
2: area? Uh, definitely. Definitely it's bringing more sheep back to the area. Well, we shouldn't mention the other small stock, but I think small stock in general is better than cattle. The cattle operators are back up in my parents' country where I grew up. There's no one living on the properties next door nearly. There's six six neighbours there and there's only one living next door. So it certainly is helping the merino come back and that's got to be a good thing that there's a lot of money for community in the merino. The number used to be $10 for every, for every dollar we had. We were spending on farm towards the community Well. It would have to be a well well more than that at the moment. So, yeah, definitely um, seeing more merinos in this area.
0: You can learn more about the fence that's saving the outback on RAPID's website, notjustafence.org, which is a fantastic website. We highly recommend going and having a look at it. And if you'd like more information on cluster fencing, there's also a document called Wild Dog Exclusion Fencing, a practical guide for wool growers on AWI's website. That's all for The Yarn this week. We love your company as always and we enjoy your feedback. So if you have any comments or suggestions for an episode topic, get in touch with us via email at theyarnatwool.com. Australian Wool Innovation is on Facebook, on Twitter at Wool Innovation and Instagram at Australian Wool. I'm Ellie Bigwood. Thank you for your company and see you soon for another yarn.